Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz, and this is the Pop Health Show. This is a show for anyone that has a passion for making people healthy in this world. Um, You may have a responsibility or accountability for making a small group healthy, thousands of people healthy, millions of people healthy. You may be a doctor, a nurse, a wellness coach, an HR manager rolling out wellness programs to your company. If you are, this show is for you. Um, we're super excited today to have Ted Dacko as a guest. I will let Ted introduce himself, but Ted, you know, comes from the world of health media. Um, Johnson Johnson acquired them not too long ago, and I've always been a big fan of Ted. Full disclosure, Ted's an advisor in our company, Health Hero. I am the founder and CEO of Health Hero, but this show is all about population health and great recipes and best practices for making groups healthy. So, um, But Ted, thank you so much for joining. Welcome to the show and love for you to give an introduction for yourself. (laughs) Well, my pleasure. Thanks, Anthony, for the opportunity. Um, In terms of background, I have um, been in technology now for going on 43 years, if you can believe it. And uh, my background is um, I have a master's in mathematics, so I'm not qualified to do anything and particularly be on this show. But um, I've spent the vast majority of my career in financial software and moved into the health space in, let's see, I guess 1999. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, I know you're, with your background when you moved into the health space, um, you know, back then, maybe you can tell a little bit about, you know, specifically your background with like health media you know, what was your role there? What were some of your experiences in, uh, you know, obviously you had customers and many companies that use your products, your services, your software. Maybe you can talk a little bit about those experiences and some potential stories that um, happened while you were you were at Health Media, or maybe there's a, a company in between 1999, obviously, and Health Media that you want to speak about. Well, there was a short stint with a behavioral health software company that was cloud-based. It was a little premature, a little too early for its time, did billing, patient record, and scheduling. And um, that one didn't work out all that well. And I was fortunate enough to to land at Health Media after that. Started as the VP of sales and moved into the CEO role when the uh, person that they had hired for the job decided to move on and take a job. He actually had come from the manufacturing industry. And Health Media... For those that do not know, it was an organization that sort of invented the category of digital coaching. It was uh, based on research done by our founder, Dr. Vic Strecker. And Vic had uh, been doing research in the area of trying to understand if you tailored communications, um, whether you could drive higher efficacy rates. And he realized that, you know, if you had a health issue, regardless of what it was, whether it was a wellness issue a disease management or behavioral health issue, fundamentally at that point, you had two choices. You either talk to someone, either a telephonic counselor or in-person counselor, or you got generic content. And early on in his research, it was based on just brochureware. And then, of course, as the internet became more popular, the brochureware turned into websites. Uh, It was just generic content. So he would run randomized control trials in various categories, and he wanted to see if he could goose the efficacy of the... Incidentally, the brochure didn't really do much for you, but it was cheap to deliver. 
the counseling could actually work, but it was expensive to deliver. That's why he wanted to see if he could tailor the brochure, if it would actually drive up the efficacy of the content. So he did did these studies and uh, in various therapeutic categories, he would recruit 100 people and 50 of them he would give generic content to and the other 50 he would ask questions of. Then he would take that generic content or he would take that content and he would tailor it specifically for them. And he found three things. Number one, tailoring increased the efficacy of content. Two, the more you tailored, the higher the efficacy went. And much more importantly than all that, number three, specifically which variables had the greatest impact on efficacy, which uh, if, you, if they were tailored. And um, so he published his results and got invited to the alphabet soup of, of uh, health conferences. And um, people would say, this is fascinating, Vic, where can I buy this? And they'd say, well, you can't because you know, Kaiser, you have 8 million members, but I can support 100 people in a randomized control trial. And GM, you have hundreds of thousands of employees, and I just can't help you. So he spun off the idea of health media into a company who was funded by a venture capitalist who actually turns out to be the current governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, who was the former COO of Gateway, and founded the company and uh, ran it for two years. And then I took over and you know, the company went through its standard ups and downs. It was the end of the dot-com era. And what we did is um, we did something, a couple of things that were very, very interesting. We um, realized that people didn't understand what tailoring was. You know, people uh, back then thought tailoring meant uh, Ed McMahon would send you something in the mail, mail saying, Ted, you may have won a million dollars, but they didn't understand the concept. Mm-hmm. So what we did is a couple of things. We very much employed Blue Ocean strategy as our strategy for how we were going to build the company. And um, we then went off and invented the category of digital coaching. So what we were actually doing is we were emulating a coaching session, but there was no coach, which was very revolutionary at the time. It's mm-hmm. probably, a, you know, even today, people are not really doing what health media was doing back then in terms of emulating a coaching session. But nonetheless, we would actually uh, write out plans for people that were unique to them all the way down to the sentence fragment level and even the imagery we would use and all those sorts of different things. And we were a blue ocean strategy company for two different reasons. One is because we focused, or three actual, three reasons. One is we focused on digital coaching, which no one was doing. And the value proposition there was the efficacy of the telephonic coach at the price of the website. So we were able to deliver high efficacy at a very, very low cost. The second aspect is we were one of the first, if not the first, to actually marry together wellness, behavioral health, and disease management into a single product line. Um, and and uh, be able to deal with a diabetic who is overweight, who may have be smoked, who may have smoked, and was also depressed and suffering from insomnia. So we were able to marry all that together. And then the third aspect of this is we were fanatically focused on also um, building products that nobody else had. So what we we didn't want to be the same old same old when we entered the disease management marketplace we didn't want to focus on the big 5 we wanted to go upstream so rather than just heart disease and cad and ch uh, chf we we would focus on 
um, hypertension and hyperlipidemia. We built work around Dr. Kate Lorg's work out of Stanford, uh, Stanford that we're, we're, where we help people learn how to manage a chronic condition regardless of what chronic condition they had, rather than just simply coaching them on their A1C level or their asthma or whatever it happened to be. Um, and then obviously depression and insomnia, and even in the wellness area, you know, um, we focused on when we built a physical activity program, we made sure that it wasn't the physical activity program that was going to appeal to the Olympic athlete. It was for the masses. It was for the person that was having a difficult time getting from their couch to the mailbox and back. So those sorts of things were the, the sorts of things that we were trying to do. And then we were fanatically focused on outcomes. We were a company that did not sell based on features and functionality and demonstrations and technology. We, phenom we, we were uh, um, absolutely committed to looking at the outcomes. As a matter of fact, when we built products, we didn't start with a feature list. We started with who is this for and what outcome do we want to achieve and the entire focus on the product development effort never lost focus on that individual that we were focused on and what outcome we wanted to achieve. Examples being, we wanted to increase the sleep um, of an, somebody suffering from insomnia by a minimum of 45 minutes. We wanted to lower the depression, um, the level of depression from somebody suffering from depression by a certain percentage amount or by a certain number. And even in diabetes management, we had a specific goal in mind for how much we wanted to lower A1C levels from what to what. And the entire emphasis of the development there was focused on that. Now, why I say all these things and why it might be relevant to the audience is very often in health today, and particularly today, but you know, I guess it, over time, the fundamental issue here is that people are losing sight of who they are focused on and specifically what they want them to achieve. And I think that's a mistake right now. I think people should be focused on those outcomes. And it doesn't have to be a cost outcome. It doesn't have to be a productivity outcome. It can be an efficacy outcome, certainly a participation outcome, and even a satisfaction level outcome, Anthony. So those are some of the things that we were focused on, and I continue to be focused on. I've actually, I left J&J in 2010, and I work with earlier stage companies in the health space primarily, not exclusively, but in the health space primarily, but I'm trying to get organizations to understand that just dumping a bunch of features and functions and technology into a health program is not going to accomplish the goal that we want. We have to focus on what the, out, what the person is that we're focused on and the outcome that we're trying to achieve. Right. Right. No, that's, that's great, Ted. I, I really appreciate it. And then just to play that back a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, tailoring and personalization, um, blue ocean strategy, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of not, not just the book, but the, but the strategy as well. Um, and, and obviously we've got a lot of listeners that, um, are accountable for making groups healthy and roll out their own health programs. Um, you've also obviously hit it hard here that, you know, 
what is the outcome, whatever you're focused on, what is the outcome. For our listeners that aren't familiar with Blue Ocean Strategy and maybe specifically in the context of you know, they're, they're rolling out a health program or a digital program for maybe, you know, it's someone listening that is trying to roll out a wellness program for, you know, their employees or a patient engagement program. What, what is Blue Ocean Strategy and how can someone in the simplest form ha- adopt that type of mindset to their product or service offering? Well, my favorite example of that that they use in the book is Cirque du Soleil. Now, who would have ever thought 20 years ago that you can get a group of circus performers together and put them in a in a uh, theater in Las Vegas and people would pay two three hundred dollars a piece for tickets to see this. Well, Cirque du Soleil, um, the, the Blue Ocean strategy is creating uncontested market spaces and it's focusing on selling value and 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 and, and upsetting the value chain of conventional thinking out there, and that's what. So that so that's sort of the the concept, and what they did is what the people from Cirque du Soleil did. You know, those performers that they use are fundamentally the people who used to work at Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. Now there's some ballet and there's some dance in there as well. But what they did is they took this concept and they basically said, "Let's change completely the way people think about this group, of th- this kind of entertainment." Let's get rid of the animals. There's no reason to do that. Let's get rid of the three rings. We're not going to do aisle concessions, etc. We're going to have a theme like love or whatever the, the, the show is. We're going to have music associated with that. We're going to put it in a specific venue. And we're going to try to do a creative uh, concept around that. And in effect, we're not even complete competing with a, with a circus, even though these are former circus uh, performers. We're competing with entertainment in general, and we're creating a brand new category of event. So that's what Blue Ocean Strategy is all about. And a lot of technology companies in health try to become Blue Ocean Strategy companies. The problem is that they're not focusing on um, innovation that has value. They're just focusing on innovation. So innovation without value tends to be just technology-driven and, fu- uh, and, and futuristic, and people don't understand that value innovation is very different than technology innovation. And value innovation only occurs when an organization will align their innovation with the utility of what they're doing, the price and the cost, and focus on um, people who want to um, buy and use that innovation for a practical manner. I don't know if I'm making sense when I say yeah, that, but it's, uh, absolutely. it's, it's, yeah, a, absolutely. it's a very important concept because just because you have a technology innovation does not make you a blue ocean strategy company. Mm-hmm. It could be valueless innovation. And too often today in health, people are just focused on that. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I I love the book as you know, and, um, you know, I I guess two other good examples, I think that are kind of recent. I look at like Netflix and, you know, Tesla, even, you know, how is Tesla differing? You know, they didn't just innovate, but they innovated in, you know, categories that matter to the consumer and added, you know, tremendous value. And thus they're, you know, created a whole other category for themselves. Others are following suit now, but obviously, you know, um, 
created a category, lead the category in value. Um, Ted, on um, as the way Blue Ocean Strategy applied to health media and that you focused on outcomes, you focused on the tailoring and personalization of health. Can you speak a little bit about how that combination and focusing on outcomes, like what kind of impact did that have on the populations you were going after? Like what, what kind of you know, just numbers are we talking, we're probably talking, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of users that potentially had their life changed, um, in, in some way, if I were to guess. Well, that was the other thing. Yes. Because what we were, you know, what would happen in, uh, what would happen is that fundamentally efficacy was driven by the telephonic counselor. Well, if you stop and think about things with 66% of the population overweight, who's going to counsel 66% of the population? (laughs) So what happens is that um, the old value chain of telephonic counseling, whether it was in wellness, disease management, or behavioral health, was focused on the severe cases. Disease management was focused on um, people who had high cost the year before. Well, turns out, you know, that was there was a whole bunch of issues around that. So the answer to your question, what we were trying to do is we were trying to deliver and we were successful in delivering similar outcomes, but to the masses at a dramatically lower cost per use and cost per success number. And you're right, it was, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of participates uh, participants in each one of our program, which added up to basically millions of participants who took advantage of the health media programs, either through their employer or through their health plan, depending on who was actually the uh, the customer was. Mm, interesting, interesting. Yeah, no, uh, tr- tremendous. Uh, you know, obviously, work you you did there at Health Media, and you know, created this whole other category, and others have followed suit and. You know, obviously, you know, health media had been noted as, you know, the one of the pioneers, significant pioneers in the employee wellness um, arena. So it, it's, it's great to hear kind of the narrative behind things. Uh, Ted, um, you know, one question I always like to, um, to ask our, our guests is, you know, what is, you know, what is something that you believe that might be somewhat viewed as like, you know, radical or potentially something you believe that hasn't been proven yet? Um, maybe there are a couple of one or two themes you'd like to speak about um, in, in regards to health that uh, that maybe our listeners, um, you know, we try and stay on the fringes of, uh, of health topics here that can potentially manifest into mainstream three to five years down the road. But maybe there's one or two things you would like to, to speak about. Well, there there are. And, you know, it, it might sound like contradictions to what we talked about before in terms of blue ocean strategy, but I'm very much into pragmatism and, and focusing on helping organizations solve problems with without, you know, necessarily um, um, spending a lot of money. And the two things that, you know, the two things that came to mind when you asked the question, Anthony, number one it is ama- amazing to me that organizations do not involve the primary care physician in their wellness initiative. It's just amazing to me that they don't do that. The number one, other than the, the employee or patient themselves, the number one person who you want in your wellness initiative is the PCP, and you want your employee to have a PCP and you want them to take advantage of that PCP relationship, you know, and this is especially true now with the Affordable Care Act because Mm -hmm. 
you know, the wellness visit is paid for. So people are still doing things like, you know, hiring on-site screening vendors and things like that to come in, which is fine, which is great, etc. Mm -hmm. But the idea here is a lot of this, they, they don't know, you can identify an issue, but you can't treat that issue through the way it's being done today. But if you involve the PCP, you're in, involving the diagnosis and the treatment at the same time. And um, so that's number one. Another example that pops into my mind is, you know, it, it's interesting. This is also a little bit of a, a of um, you know, uh, I seem to be contradicting myself. I have been carrying a pedometer in my pocket every single day since November the 1st, 2005. I've only missed two days in 11 years. But as I look at things today, I realize that not everybody will carry a Fitbit. Nobody's, not everybody's going to buy an iWatch. But the, itch, but the issue here is that you already have a device that's sitting in your employee's pocket called a smartphone that they already have that does things like measure steps and can um, there's, there's a way to, uh, to use the camera to help measure weight and things like that. So the idea here is it's not that it's not proven, it's just not being done. Um, utilizing existing resources in wellness can have a profound impact on not only the outcome, but on the cost structure if people would just get out of their conventional thinking about and their traditional thinking about how to do things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny how things change so fast. You know, it feels like just four to five years ago, um, you know, all the different connected devices have come out and, you know, sprinkling them throughout the organization was the common thing. Um, but yeah, you are starting to see, you know, as phones get thinner and lighter and you carry them around everywhere, you know, and they are cap you know, super capable supercomputers of not just tracking steps, but other things that that this uh, not just technology shift is starting to you know push forward the new societal shift in which we are just so, so connected to our phones and they're they're really just extensions of tracking our health as well. Um, how how do you think those two pieces, Ted, could potentially connect together? So we've got these you know great supercomputer mobile phones. You you you're you're um, mentioning a thesis of, you know, including the the primary care and PCP a lot more when it comes to an employee wellness program. What specific um, scenarios do you see happening, or what do you th what do you think needs to happen for those things to come together, or to, for for us to to go in that direction? Um, you know, mainly for the you know the HR managers that are listening to to the show. Well, I don't know that those two things need to come together. Those sure, are two sure. examples of pragmatism that can be applied if you apply things like blue ocean strategy thinking and you break down the barriers of conventional wisdom and um, you know you start to think about strategically how you want your wellness initiative to work rather than a regression analysis on how it has worked in the last couple of years. Right, right. No, that's, this is great, Ted. This is great. Um, Ted, if it were you and you had, um, you know, you say you have a company that's like, um, you know, five to 10,000 employees and you were in charge of, you know, let's say putting together some sort of wellness program for them. Um, what's your mental model or your mindset for how you would approach, um, putting together a, a wellness program just based on your experience? What are some things that would excite you to 
or some questions you would start to try and answer in putting together a, a modern wellness program? Well, um, I'm not an HR professional. I should pro I should start sure. off by saying that. <laughs> sure. um, I'm sure. trained in a different discipline. But as I think about this, I would take a step back, and, and it sort of relates to what I said before. I would try to figure out what am I trying to accomplish? What am I trying to accomplish with the wellness program? Mm -hmm. And in spite of what I said about outcomes, I think one of the biggest mistakes that the entire industry has made is trying to put a return on investment on wellness. Now, here's my point. Number one, if you talk, if you look at a lot of organizations and you ask them about their culture and what they're trying to create, they're trying to create a family environment. That's what they like to say. We are a family company. We focus on, we treat our employees like family. Now, how many people out there put a return on investment on their children or their spouse or their parents? So why are we trying to put an ROI on our employees when the entire purpose of wellness is to keep them healthy, happy, safe, and sound. Now, obviously, you, you know, there are costs, there are costs that you want to keep in mind, etc. But trying to jump over some hurdle rate on a return on investment, particularly in the area of wellness, when you're trying to prevent uh, a, an, 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 an issue from happening as opposed to, you know, in disease management where you're trying to, you know, regress back to the mean and all that sort of stuff. So a modern wellness program, I think, is going to be unique to each employer. And I think they should probably think about what do we want? What are we trying to accomplish? What do we already have in terms of resources that we can apply? And then let's supplement all of that with technology that's going to make sense, that's going to help us meet our goals to achieve what our, what our ultimate purpose is and not just do what our neighbor did because our neighbor did it or not do something simply because some industry publication said it was the latest and greatest thing, but it may actually not apply to our own unique needs. That makes sense? Absolutely. Absolutely, Ted. I think that was very helpful that um, yeah, it, it's a great mindset, I think, to approach, obviously, any type of program for any organization that they need to roll out. But, um, you know, specifically in employee wellness, I think that's that helps out a ton. Um, Ted, this was this was great. We, you know, as you know, we try and keep these shows, uh, you know, quick, punchy, you know, at least under 30 minutes. Um, you know, it's been great having you on the show. We'd love to have you back, um, you know, eventually. And, um I guess uh, for our listeners out there, um, is there a way that you would like uh, to be reached out to or a way that uh, people can consume your media or interact with you online that you'd like to mention? Well, yeah, you can reach me at uh, tdaco at me, me.com. Uh, I do have a twi Twitter account called tdaco. I haven't done a lot of tweeting in the last month or so, but that you can reach me that way. And uh you know, my website is um, arbordakota.com. That's the name of the company, my, my consulting company. Great, great. Well, super, Ted. I, I, I think this is uh, tremendous and will add a lot of value to our listeners. And, uh, Ted, this was great having you on, on the show. And uh, happy holidays. <laughs> this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay.